0: One of the most important methods used to study behaviour in cognitive social psychology is the laboratory experiment. You can observe people's behaviour, but you still don't really know what the causes are of their behaviour. What attracts me to experimentation is that you can, in a very controlled environment, disentangle cause and effect. So you can rule out alternative uh, uh, explanations for something. I think experiments are a critical tool, uh, an, an essential tool, really, for social cognitive research, primarily because social con- cognition as a field or is characterised by different theoretical perspectives. And within those different theoretical perspectives, researchers make statements about the causal role of particular variables. So I might say that social identification causes um, a particular outcome, like conformity, say. Okay, now what I need to do to, from this perspective in order to establish the validity of that statement is to um, isolate the relevant theoretical variables and show that by manipulating them, that actually that is indeed having the impact on the outcome variable that you're interested in demonstrating. And fundamentally, within the kind of empirical tradition of the science, that the ability to differentiate between theories as a function of their ability to account for outcomes in that way is really critical in the way that they've evolved said we've got to do some experiments to look at this because we've got because again if you just ask people what you think about it they'll say something one example that, of a social psychological experiment is this uh, work that I'm currently doing with a PhD student of mine actually a former OU student he came to us and he said he was interested in the issues of the psychology of space and I said well that's really interesting because yeah. I think this is a classic medium in which kind of identity processes play themselves out It's often done in the laboratory because of the types of outcome measures that you're interested in. Might not just be responses on a scale, they might be your physiological response or they might be some other thing like that you need to monitor very much more closely. Like, for example, if, if you were interested in my behavior at the moment, it might be useful to do this in a controlled setting because you can film it and then afterwards you can go back over and see, well, did he do this, did he do the other? Whereas if you were just sitting in a train or in a field or doing an interview, it might be harder to code for those things. The two critical issues are control and measurement, and I think you can get that everywhere. It's just that actually laboratories are places in which it's relatively easy to do those two things.
1: There are four conditions in the experiment which we're running at the moment. In the first one, um, somebody will walk into a a bare room, and there will be no plants on the desk, there will be no pictures on the wall, and they'll be asked to do two tasks, both of which are timed and there will be a questionnaire after those two tasks. The two tasks and the questionnaire are common across all the conditions. In the second condition, the participant will walk in to a completely decorated room. So we will put lots of pictures on the wall, lots of plants on the desk. The participant has no say over how those are arranged. They get on with the tasks. The third condition, the participant comes in and they're told they can decorate the room as they wish. Plants wherever they want, pictures wherever they like, then they do the tasks. And the fourth condition is again, just like the third, they come in, we tell them they can decorate the room, they do decorate the room, and then I come back in after a while and I rearrange the room to suit me overriding their own designs. We have two tasks um, that the participants do that are timed. The first one of those is a card sorting task. And the reason for that is when you have cards spread all over a work surface, the eye naturally sort of flicks from one card to another and will take in quite a lot of what's going on around the desk. The second task is where they're asked to count the lowercase letters B on a single A4 sheet of paper.
0: What we've done across those conditions is manipulate the extent to which the participant has an opportunity to impose their identity on the environment. And what we predict is those last two conditions would be very different from the control condition, the baseline condition. That when they can create an environment that suits them, their performances and their orientation to the space is much more positive. But when they can't, when they use that space is violated, the outcomes are much more negative. The first thing to note is that you get a really big effect for the manipulation of that independent variable. The opportunities for the individual to impose their identity on the environment or to have that identity challenged are really having a massive impact on their behaviour. In fact, if you look at the, just the time taken to uh, perform this task, there's a 27% variation in the time taken. So when they're slowest is where the is violated. Where they're fastest is where they can impose their identity on the environment. They can decorate the room as they see fit. Brilliant. So not only have you got a very significant difference between the conditions, you've also got a really big one. The critical thing, though, is again that participants are blind to the manipulations. So clearly we don't say to them, well, you're in this condition, but in a minute we're going to have someone else in a different condition. When the experiment's completed, then actually, as part of the debriefing, we explain to them why we've done what we've done, if you like, why we've concealed from them that design there's a slight kind of ethical issue because obviously the people who are in the condition where they got to decorate the room and then the experimenter has come in and just and taken it down they might be quite alarmed by what's going on there and they might have felt quite uncomfortable well i think it's important the ethical issue there is to debrief them and explain why that was necessary that's
1: pretty much it yeah we're looking to see what happens to people's productivity and happiness hence the questionnaire when we start messing about with people's workspaces We want to know what happens when people have freedom and when they don't. And there are four conditions.
0: First, When Craig came in and changed the environment around, um, I found it very disconcerting and it was quite confusing, um, especially in the tasks that I was performing. I felt that it did hamper my performance slightly.
1: You were in the awkward condition, the fourth redecorated condition. (laughs) There is very little deception involved in the current experiment. Um, There's a little because In the fourth condition, we asked them to design their own space and then I come in and mess it all about for them. um, And that has a, a necessary antagonistic effect. And we had to ask ethical approval for that. It's interesting that ethics have to be very careful. We went through ethics committee to get clearance and we had to put in a fairly extensive debrief Um, which they could see beforehand, so they knew precisely what kind of ethical implications were involved.
0: I think what's distinctive perhaps about experimental research, if you're talking about experimental social psychology, I think one of the, historically, the particular issue I think that 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 raises are the issues of deception. Often that when you do experiments it's necessary to deceive someone by telling them something that isn't correct and looking at the effects of that on their behaviour. Most experimental psychologists think that it is valid to deceive participants um, where there is a strong scientific case for that and where the uh, deception is not likely to cause any enduring harm for the participants in any way.